Hi, welcome to Moments with Marilyn. I'm your host, Marilyn Boyer, the mom of 14 homeschool kids who love the Lord and love each other. I absolutely love young moms, and it's my privilege and my passion to share tips and tools to make your journey easier. Today, we're continuing what we talked about last week, and we were talking about harmful relationships or hurtful, healing broken relationships. Today we're going to talk about, so are relationships really worth it? Should we take time building relationships or should we just stick with our own few little kids and, and husband and kids and forget about everybody else? <clears throat> um, every painful thing that we experience in relationships is meant to remind us of our need for God. And we need to keep that in mind. You know, God uses these things to shape us and mold us like the potter and the clay so that we will be more fruitful and we will be more useful to him. We are left on this earth after we get saved to glorify God and to bring glory and honor to him. And we see things, we see hurtful things as so overwhelming where instead God is using those things to shape and mold us and to the person he wants us to be so we can in turn help others and guide them in their relationships as well. So as I said last week, there's a couple books. Let me find the titles. Um, Relationships, A Mess Worth Making by Timothy Lane and Paul David Tripp. It's just a little booklet, but it's a really good resource. You might want to get a hold of it. So Paul Tripp, Paul David Tripp gives us a few insights, a biblical lens on relationships, if you will. He gives us eight biblical facts that summarize the way God wants us to think about our relationships. Remember, it's what you think that will feed your heart, and we need to make sure we're thinking the right thoughts. The Bible gives us the right thoughts. We don't have them within ourselves. Number one, you were made for relationships, Genesis 2.18. God said it is not good for man to be alone. God created us to be relational beings. We are being made in the image of God. God lives in a community of the Trinity. Genesis 2 speaks not so much to the fact that Adam would be lonely, but instead it's a revealing of his nature, how God created him to be. Creation was incomplete without a suitable companion. And Eve was created to be the helper. The word helper means a companion, a fellow laborer, and is used throughout scripture. The word helper is often used to describe God's relationship with his people. Just as human beings were created for a vertical need for God's companionship, they're also created for horizontal relationships with other people. Relationship is so important to God that he brings his creative work to a climax by creating Eve. Two, in some ways, all relationships are difficult. You know, all of the relationships you have require work if they're going to thrive. They don't just happen. Sin came into play in the Garden of Eden. Sin brought frustration, confusion into relationships. In Genesis 3, man and woman engage in accusation and slander. Genesis 4 gets worse. Man murders his brother. If you want to enjoy any progress or blessing in your relationships, it's going to require, like we talked about last week, 
that you admit, repent of your sin humbly and commit yourself to the work it requires to build this relationship. Remember we said life is about repentance and forgiveness. Repentance and forgiveness. And we need to remember that. Number three, each of us is tempted to make relationships the end rather than the means. The primary relationship Adam and Eve were intended to enjoy was their relationship with God. All of creation was to function as an arrow pointing us to God. But in our sin, we tend to treat people in creation as more important than God. We put God on the back burner and we're all wrapped up in these relationships of people that are here around us that we see. The very things God created to reveal his glory became instead the glory we desire. The irony is that when we reverse the order and elevate creation above the creator, we destroy those very relationships God intended that would to enable us to enjoy them. You know, God's intention was for us to enjoy the relationships. But when we put those above our relationship with the creator, that just messes up the order of everything. Number four, there are no secrets that guarantee problem-free relationships. You know, we are so tempted to look for an easy, fix-it answer. Tell me the three steps to make this better. A new strategy or a new technique that will free us from the pain and hard work that relationships require. I remember hearing about um, a speaker at a homeschooling convention that gave some really crazy answers to kids' disobedience. Um, like this, this was one, if your kids disobey, even if you're in the store, you as the dad get down and do push-ups right in the middle of the store and, and ask your child to do it with you. If you're a mom and your kids are acting up, tell them you're going to go color and invite them to color with you. Think, wait a minute. <laughs> um, instead of dealing with the sin, what's going on in their heart? You know, we need to deal with what's going on in the heart. But as people, we are looking for an easy fix. Oh, if I can just go color, that sounds like a really good fix. Let's try that. Or if I just have to do push-ups, you know, we're looking for, for an easy, tell me something that's, that's easy, that's going to fix this. Life is not easy. God never promised it would be easy. And I think a lot of times when people are sharing the gospel, they communicate that if you get saved, life's going to be easy the rest of your life. It's not going to be easy. It's probably going to be harder because you have to deal with the sin that's in your own life, where before you could just kind of ignore it. Skills and techniques appeal to us because they promise that relational problems can be fixed by tweaking our behavior with altering, without altering the bent that's in our heart. There are no shortcuts. But there are answers. It can be fixed. We have the word of God. Christ is the only real hope for broken relationships because it's only he that can dig deep enough to address the core motivations and desires of our heart. There are answers. The answers are in the word. Five, at some point you will wonder, are these relationships worth it? We, we become disappointed and discouraged by relationships. We think, I'm not even going to bother. This is just a pain. I'm going to go pat my dog and forget about people. You know, sometimes I think, I wish people were like dogs. They're so forgiving and loyal and trusting, and they don't talk back to you. 
But the health and maturity of a relationship is not measured by an absence of problems, but by the way inevitable problems are handled. Did you hear that? Inevitable problems. We're all sinners. We, we have that selfish bent. We've got the old man nature, and we, we're selfish. That is our default, is selfishness. So problems are inevitable. But a good relationship involves honestly identifying the sin patterns that tend to trouble it. It also involves repentance, being humble and willing to guard ourselves and the other person from these sin patterns. You know, we need to guard ourselves. We need to do our best to guard the other person from becoming bitter and falling into wrong sin patterns. Because human conflict is the result of spiritual battle in our hearts, wise relationships always seek to be aware of the deeper struggle. Even in times of peace, we really must remain vigilant regarding the way our relationships can be hijacked by the underlying desires of our hearts, which are subtly and constantly shifting. We need to be aware of what's going on in our hearts. We need to take tabs and evaluate what's going on in our hearts. Here are some questions to help us evaluate our hearts on a living level. How do you deal with disappointments? Do you blame? Do you deny when somebody accuses you of something? Are you denying it? Are you blaming? Are you running away? Are you avoiding? You want to just get away from them? Are you threatening? Are you trying to manipulate to have things go your way? Or do you speak the truth? Do you exhibit patience? Approach people gently. Ask for and grant forgiveness. Overlook minor offenses. Do you do that? Do you encourage and honor other people? These questions touch us where we live from day to day. How are we applying these truths? I went to a biblical counseling class, and the counselor drew two trees. And in talking with counseling, he was saying to the person, this is what we see on your tree from their admission. They were saying, I have trouble with anger, unforgiveness, um, worry, whatever. So he wrote on the tree the fruit of what they have in their life. And then he went to the scripture. We're supposed to have love, peace, patience, joy, kindness, goodness, faithfulness to help them evaluate where their heart was. This is what the fruit is on your tree. This is what the fruit is supposed to be according to scripture. We need to deal with this, you know, deal with whether the person's saved or if they are saved, if they're just not applying biblical principles to their life. Number six, God keeps us in messy relationships for a purpose, for his redemptive purpose. Listen to this, it's important. God has chosen to make us more like him. That's called sanctification. The very things that we seek to avoid is what God has chosen to use to make us more like him. You know, God could just clean up our problems overnight. And it's tempting to think God doesn't care about me or he would just make things easier. We would prefer that God just change the relationship, but God is not going to be content until the relationship changes us. Let me say that again. We would prefer that God would change the relationship, 
But God is not going to be content until the relationship changes us. It was meant for a purpose. It's not some random occurrence that happened that we just have to deal with and get by. In the messiness of relationships, our heart is revealed. What is in your heart comes out when it's squeezed. When you see anger, bitterness, blaming, whatever comes out is what is in your heart. Our weakness is exposed, and we start to come to the end of ourself. We see that we need God. We realize our own sin. What we need to do is repent of that sin and ask God to change our heart. You know, weak and needy people finding their hope in Christ's grace is what marks a mature relationship. We are weak. We are needy. We can't make it all happen ourselves. We can't do things in our own strength. Weak and needy people finding hope in Christ's grace are what marks a mature relationship and a mature believer. You know, the most dangerous aspect of your relationships is not your weakness, but your delusions of strength. Self-reliance is always a component of a bad relationship. Our personality is not our friend. We need to keep tabs on it. We need to realize that we are weak and deal with our weaknesses and repent when we do wrong. You know, it's in the very process of working through the mess that intimacy is found. Most likely, the most meaningful relationships you have are the ones that involved working through difficulty and hardship. You know, I am thankful for the ministry that I had pouring into my dad in his last years and letting him see the love of Christ in a practical, tangible way. Our family just poured into him and took care of his needs, and he was hurting because mama died, and he felt lonely a lot, and he was so much more open than he'd been through the years. And I am so thankful that we were able to pour into him and let him see that grace. I could have been bitter. I could have been, um, you know, block away. Well, I don't want anything to do with him either. But that's not what God wants us to do. And I didn't do it perfectly, believe me. Number seven, the fact that our relationships work as well as they do is a sure sign of grace. One of the biggest impediments we face in relationships is our own spiritual blindness. We frequently do not see our sin or how God is protecting or restraining us and others from our own sin. God does that. He protects us from ourselves. And sometimes things that happen that we think are really bad is God's protection in our lives. You know, we're a lot like Elisha's servant who was overwhelmed by the enemy army that surrounded him till God opened his eyes to see the far more formidable army of angels God had sent to protect him. It was his spiritual blindness of unbelief. Elisha's servant in 2 Kings 6, 15 through 22, and when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And that's how God 
protects us. You know, he is there. We, we see our own little small part of the world, but God sees the big picture. And we need to remember the big picture is there. We're so limited. How should we measure the potential in our relationships? By the size of the problems or by the magnitude of God's presence in our midst? Yes, by the magnitude of God's presence in our midst. Midst. We tend to see sins, weaknesses, failures, rather than the good things God is meaning to accomplish. If we learn to look to God in our relationships, we will always find things to be thankful for. And scripture tells us we are to be thankful for all things, even if we can't understand at the time why it's good or how it's helping us. We are to verbally thank God for that relationship. Number eight, scripture offers a clear hope for our relationships. We often get discouraged or overwhelmed by the hard work the relationships require. But consider this, the shattered relationship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit at the cross provides the basis for our reconciliation. No other relationship suffered more than what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit endured when Jesus hung on the cross and cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was willing to be rejected so that your family could know reconciliation. Jesus was willing to become the forsaken friend so that you could have loving relationships. Jesus was willing to be the rejected Lord so that you could live in loving, loving submission to your husband and to others. Jesus was willing to be the forsaken brother so that we could have godly relationships. Jesus was willing to be the crucified king so that our communities could experience peace. In his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus brought about reconciliation in two ways. Number one, Jesus was reconciled back to God because that relationship was broken. Number two, that became the foundation for the way he reconciles us to one another. You know, of course, that's only going to be complete in heaven, but there's so much to be enjoyed now. The New Testament offers great hope that our relationships can be characterized by things like humility, gentleness, patience, edifying honesty, peace, forgiveness, compassion, and love. This hope of the gospel invites us to a holy dissatisfaction with all our relationships, especially those with major problems. So, if you're tempted to wonder why bother with this, the answer, why should we bother? Because God did. I hope this has helped you look at your relationships in a different light and look at your own heart and realize that we need to constantly have a window into our heart and evaluate what's going on and to give thanks to God in all things, to realize that he is bringing about something wonderful in our lives and he's using relationships that seem to have gone south to squish and to mold and to meld us into something wonderful and the other person too. You know, God might be using you as a healing bomb in the relationship of others. Are you willing to lay down your life 
to heal other people in the relationship, even if it's the other person's fault mostly? Are you willing to lay down your life so that God can use your life to bring about healing in the lives of those around you? I hope you are. I hope you'll be willing to. And if you're not, ask God to make you willing. Be honest with God. He knows our heart. Sometimes we don't feel willing. But if we realize what's going on and we realize that it's for our ultimate good and the good of the other person and the glory of God, then that just gives us a whole different perspective on our problems and our problem relationships. Thanks for joining me today. I hope this gave you some help in relationships that are messy in your life. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.